Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. This call is being recorded. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Buck Sanders and Greg Barnes. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Buck and Greg's not my usual Sunday evening, Monday morning pairing, but I wanted to do it because you guys haven't been on together in a while and no game to review. So Jason has the evening off. I'll start with you, Buck. Uh, You had a column Friday, I believe it was, on Inside Carolina Premium Message Board about games to watch this weekend. And I thought uh, Notre Dame was quite impressive going to Virginia Tech. I don't know how good Virginia Tech is, but with the atmosphere, seeing Notre Dame go up there and just work them, not sure how that fares for North Carolina this coming weekend. We can talk about that. But your thoughts on the ACC uh, starting with that Notre Dame-Virginia Tech game this past weekend. Well, you know, it really was an impressive victory up there. Uh, after Josh Jackson went out for Virginia Tech, uh, nobody really knew how they would fare because they were kind of counting on Jackson. But uh, Ryan Willis, uh, transfer, I believe, Greg, isn't he? Uh, yeah, from Kansas. In? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, he had been doing pretty well for them, actually. Uh, but he had a little bit of a, a rough outing. Um, threw the ball a lot and got 309 yards, but only a 5.9 uh, yards per average attempt and a QBR of 41.1. So he didn't fare as well against Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame has probably got a really good defense. I think they've got... Is Mike Elko still there, I believe, as the uh, defensive coordinator? No, I, I think he's, he's at moved. A&M now. Yeah. Okay. All right. In, in any event, their, their defense played pretty well. They got uh, uh, a lot of good carries out of Dexter Williams. Uh, Notre Dame did, including a 97-yarder. So, uh, uh, we've talked about this before a little bit, but this Virginia Tech defense is not – I'm not saying it's a bad unit, and given the state of North Carolina's offense, they're capable of looking really good against North Carolina, but it's not your typical Bud Foster unit. I don't think they're nearly as good, um, or at least they're a couple of clicks south of where they normally are um, in terms of uh, um, a Bud Foster defense. So uh, maybe that bodes well. We'll see. North Carolina can certainly need all the help they can get on uh, – Saturday night. Yeah, Tommy, I think the, the crazy thing and kind of watching how uh, the football season is, is played out, especially within the, the ACC, is we knew Clemson would be the cream of the crop. But if you watch the Syracuse game, they're, they're not some unstoppable force. And, and watching a little bit of, you know, watching a lot of Clemson, watching a little bit of like Alabama, I have a hard time seeing that being a really close game if that were to happen down the road. But then once you get past Clemson, I mean, 
you know, Miami, I think, head and shoulders is probably the second best team. And they need a miracle to get past FSU, who you know they've been hit or miss in, in Tigers' first first year. And if you look at the ESPN FBI, uh, the third team that they have ranked, and listeners of this podcast won't like to hear this, but it's NC State. It's State's 29th. Um, and then you get to Duke at 33 and Virginia Tech at 34. So Clemson clearly cream the crop. But once you get past them, I mean, you I don't know that there's any other – great teams, certainly not any other elite teams. And that's one of the reasons, I mean, we, we can talk about the Miami game if, if you want to. The score was ugly, uh, but you, when you have three defensive touchdowns, that's going to skew how a game plays out. And I thought that game, well, you know, maybe other games have been different where the, the score doesn't tell the full story. Uh, I think that's one where it looks a lot worse than how the game actually played out. Uh, but other than Miami and Clemson, I mean, there's a lot of uh, average maybe is not fair, but you may be above average teams. And so if, if Carolina can show up on Saturday against the Hokies and against a lot of these teams moving forward, they have a chance to win and really be competitive. And that that kind of matches what we thought before the season started. But in watching all these games play out the first four or five weeks of the season, uh, I don't think there's any indication that there's a lot of, you know, top-heavy teams uh, in, in the ACC that can compete for your know, conference championship and for uh, BCS bowl games. I guess that's not even a fair thing to say anymore because BCS is no more, but you know, New Year's Six bowl games. So there's, there's a bunch of middling to above-average teams that I think Carolina can be competitive with. You know, Tommy, let me jump in real quick. Another game that probably deserves to get mentioned from a UNC perspective is that Pitt upset, I guess you'd call it an upset, uh, Syracuse, uh, although Pittsburgh was at home. But I, I didn't see that coming. I, I just thought Pitt was just a terrible football team that uh, Syracuse would handle pretty easily, but didn't turn out that way. So at least that holds out some hope that maybe North Carolina isn't uh, you know foreclosed from getting uh, a win against Syracuse. Anyway, any kind of ray of hope we can furnish at uh, this <laughs> juncture of the season, we probably should do so. Well, let me do my thing. Greg. Uh, glass half empty. Craig, you mentioned, uh, and you both have mentioned, that sort of the mediocrity of the league. You look at the standings. I mean, Clemson State, clearly probably the class. Miami's up there as well. Um, but... <laughs> There's a Louisville is is terrible, and, and Wake Forest, who I've always thought were pretty good, just got shellacked by Clemson. Florida State falls apart and loses to Miami. Georgia Tech, what they put up against Louisville, sixty six. Yeah. Uh, Duke's yeah. undefeated, and then lays a complete egg to Virginia Tech. Buck, you mentioned Pitt uh, that Carolina owns, and then they beat a good Syracuse team. I mean, it's just. It's one of those times, and I guess maybe NC State's the beneficiary of it this year. It's one of those times if you can be good and above average and consistent on both sides of the ball, you can make a run in the league. So, Greg, my glass half full type guys, I mean, Carolina picked um, a bad year in the ACC to be bad. But like Buck said, there's still opportunities there. Your thoughts just on overall looking ahead for North Carolina – um, 
in this conference. I mean, Virginia Tech's going to be tough. Syracuse yeah, up for, there is going to be tough. So, I mean, it's their chances there. Are they legitimate chances for North Carolina as is, unless something significantly changes during this bye week? I think so. And I, I think it's interesting how one game against ECU changes the tide of things. Now, we saw what happened to ECU this weekend. They got absolutely boat raced by, I guess it was Temple, like 49 to 6 or something like that. It was like so we know ECU, to 3 and a half or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't think their their quarterback played, but uh, we know that's not a good team. So Carolina losing that game in the fashion they did uh, is a, a stain that you're not going to be able to wipe away if you're Larry Fedora. That's not going to happen. That's going to stick with you more so than 70-41 or whatever. Um, but outside of that game, kind of how the season has played out is what we thought early in the year, at least from a record-wise. You know, we, we figured everybody thought they'd beat ECU. But uh, I know some of us had Cal winning that game. We all thought the game was going to be tough because it was on the road, and, and Cal had reason to be better. Uh, you know, Central Florida is, is very good. I think Carolina dodged a bullet not having to play that game. I don't think anybody expected UNC to go down to Miami and win, even though I don't think anybody thought the game would be that ugly. And then most people thought Carolina would beat Pitt, and that was a hard-fought game. Um, and so you kind of get to this point, and aside from the ECU game, it's, you were not that far off of maybe where we thought this team would be. And then you get into this stretch where there's a bunch of toss-up games. Now, having said that, the defense that played against Miami, especially with, with the tackling issues in the first half, and the hit-or-miss defense that we saw against ECU and Pitt, that can't happen in North Carolina have any remote chance of, of winning games down the stretch. If they get back to how they played at Cal, I think they have a chance to be in these games. So you got to shore up your defense first and foremost to have any chance, I think, moving forward. But then, of course, the big question mark is quarterback. Uh, you got to expect Cade Fortin or even Reuter are going to start seeing more time uh, after what happened in Miami. I don't think Fedora's probably ready to give up on, on Surratt or Elliott quite yet. Uh, even, you know, Elliot seems to be getting better, but we know his limitations. Uh, you would hope Surratt, that was just a, a tough game to come into. Uh, but obviously, you know, question marks with both of those guys. So hope and pray that one of these young guys knows enough of the offense can come in, give you some production. So now if you've got the defense playing better and you've got a little bit of stability at quarterback, you have weapons at wide receiver and running back. And I think the offensive line, we knew it was going to be a work in progress, but I think they've shown signs of getting better. Now you're looking at, okay, well, now this is a team that can actually be competitive. Uh, but if those things don't happen and they, those things have not gelled uh, in the last week and a half, that's going to be an issue. And so I, I think that's what's going to be so so fun to watch Saturday against the Hokies is while the Hokies are going to be a favorite, I think they opened as a six-point favorite, and that, that line will probably go up a little bit. Uh, but that doesn't suggest a blowout by any stretch. And so I think there's the opportunity for North Carolina to come out, show that they can play well, give some confidence, even if it's not a game they win, and that sets you up moving on into uh, October. I want to move along, but first I need to tell you guys about a New Jersey Mike store that's opening south of Chapel Hill in Chatham County. Wednesday, October 10th, the grand opening for a New Jersey Mike store in Chatham Crossing and the Lowe's Food Shopping Center. It's 
not far from the heart of Chapel Hill, right down 15501, right on the way for anyone coming to Chapel Hill from Laurenburg, Pinehurst, Southern Pines, Sanford, or Pittsburgh. And remember, all fall, Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill has partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal for our IC Podcast listeners. All you need to know is the code HEELS15. Get 15% off your order. It's online only, but here's how it works. Go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. It'll show the locations nearest you. Click on one of those four in Chapel Hill area stores. Click your order, pick your favorite sub, and at checkout, enter Heels 15 and get 15% off that whole order. Skip the line, head straight to the register, grab your food, and you're on your way. Do it today. Place an online order at one of those four Chapel Hill and Hillsborough locations, and now the one in Chatham County on October 10th. It's a super easy process. Heels 15. Three locations in Chapel Hill. Right off exit 261, all the Chapel Hill locations are right off I-40 and super convenient. And now Jersey Mike's is in Ke- inside Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. So support the IC podcast and get 15% off your Jersey Mike's order. It's a win-win. But Greg said, uh, play, and even if you don't win, get some confidence moving on. But if Carolina doesn't beat Virginia Tech, they sit at 1-4. And I believe one and two in the conference. So at this point, but this Virginia Tech game, I don't know if it can change the trajectory of the season or Larry Fedora's status, but your thoughts there. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see the atmosphere in Keenan Stadium. You know, we I tweeted out something about atmosphere after that Virginia Tech atmosphere up there. Um, But it's going to be interesting to see that. But you know, this is a game that I don't know if saving the season is possible, but the season being over, in my belief, could could be uh, at about 10.30 on Saturday night if Carolina doesn't come out and figure out a way to get this ball game. Well, uh, first of all, you know, I think that in terms of teams that UNC fans love to hate within the conference, um, Obviously, NC State, in my opinion, would be number one. Duke would be number two. Virginia Tech would qualify as number three, I would believe. Um, you know, there was a lot of conversation back during the NCAA investigation that the Virginia Tech uh, coaching staff uh, really made hay while the sun was shining uh, on them and not on North Carolina. Uh, and use the NCAA investigation against North Carolina in every way possible. So uh, there's just no love lost, I don't think, uh, between North Carolina and Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech has uh, um, won some uh, a lot of games against North Carolina and since they came into the conference. And uh, it being a night game, um, I think there are going to be a lot of UNC fans that are, are really hoping that North Carolina can pull off the victory against the Hokan, Hokies on Saturday night. Um, so I, I do think that's in the fan base's mind. It's a pretty big game in the conference. It's still not on the same level as the NC State game or the Duke game. Uh, and I, for whatever reason, the Duke game is a huge one with the fan base. I guess that dates back to all the history that uh, North Carolina had with uh, Duke over the years in football and basketball. 
but still, the Virginia Tech is a big rivalry. Um, I'm kind of like Greg uh, in terms of win or lose on Saturday night. Uh, the ECU game is just going to leave a mark. You know, it's uh, that's that's just something you're not going to be able to uh, kind of erase from fans' memories. But certainly a, a no question a win over Virginia Tech could breathe some life uh, in, into the fan base and into the program. Um, and a night game is, is a really a good opportunity to do that. So we'll just have to see what happens. But um, as far as uh, a win over Virginia Tech, just rescuing the season, I think it falls a little short of that. Greg, your thoughts on maybe any changes we might see uh, of course, I, I guess availability or press conferences coming up the first part of this week. Uh, but just any hunches or any ideas maybe that you have that something we may see different from North Carolina. Of course, I'm sort of leaning to the Cade Fortin or Jace Reuter getting an opportunity. Um, we've talked about Fedora not giving up on Surratt or Elliott at this point. But, you know, just pontificate a little bit with – with me, if you would, uh, about your thoughts on that. I, I've said I think it's time. I think this couple of weeks off has been perfect opportunity to make it happen. But what do you think happens next weekend? Yeah, I think it's a a good opportunity to to see what you, one of the young quarterbacks does. And I assume Kate Fortin's the the primary option there. Uh, we knew that going into the pit game, the plan was for Fortin to start taking some reps, maybe get that third series like. Uh, Larry likes to do, but of course Carolina comes in and what happens? They score touchdowns in the first two drives, uh, and Larry decides to, to roll with with Elliott, which you know, I understood at the time. But then you get to Miami and you get Surratt back, and you've got to see what he can do because he started seven games for you last year, and apparently he had a really good training camp. Um, and so we saw how that played out, and I. I assume it got out of hand. They didn't want to put a young guy in there and waste his reps in a, in a blowout loss where he maybe gets beat up with Miami's defense being as good uh, as they are. But then you get, like you said, Tommy, you've got this this long break. I think it's 16 days in between games uh, where you can get the guys ready. And that doesn't mean that he's going to come in. You know, Fortin comes in and is the starter. I don't see that happening. But maybe you give him some run and you say, all right, look, we're one and three. We're looking one and four in the in the face with a with a good Hokies team coming off a, a bad loss to Notre Dame. Uh, let's let's see what kind of hope we can provide because you know at this point in time, Larry knows there's a lot of heat on him. There's any question about that. So how how do you change that? Well, the the old staple is right. If you have a really bad year, what happens? You clean house. You fire all your staff. You bring in fresh faces. That buys you a year. But the way you also do it is if you have a position like quarterback that is so important and what you have in that position is not getting the job done, you go with the true freshman. Because if that true freshman shows some promise and provides some opportunities for you to win some games, well, now you're looking to the future. You say, hey, look, this year will be growing pains, but maybe next year uh, we're going to have things right back where we wanted them, right back where we were in you know, 15 and 16. And so – not that you know, Larry's far in the future, but 
you know, th- this is not a, a in a vacuum type setting, right? I mean, it's not just Virginia Tech. It's how do we how do we improve this team and the options for us moving forward? Uh, do we start by putting Fortin in for you know, the third series and letting him play maybe two series in the first half, two in the second half? And so I, I think that's kind of where we're at. Um, how that plays out after two weeks of, of you know, fundamental work and uh, kind of streamlining streamlining the, the offense and trying to get everybody ready for Virginia Tech, we'll have to wait and see. I don't expect Fedora to provide any hints whatsoever this week. Uh, it's, it's not his norm, um, but we'll learn a lot, I think, on Saturday. Interesting. We're talking about that. We're talking about um, East Carolina game leaving a mark and all this stuff. Buck, you'll find this interesting. Uh, Football Brainiac Sooners edition. James Hale reporting that Mike Stoops has been fired as defensive coordinator for Oklahoma. Uh, what twenty four hours after they lose to Texas, Lincoln Riley making a move there. Evidently, your thoughts on those type things, Buck? Um, making moves like that during the season. We've talked about it a lot with Fedora and his staff and all that, but your thoughts just overall there. Well, Wake Forest did the same thing uh, last week. Was it last week, Greg? I think that uh, they fired their defensive coordinator. Yes. Uh, That didn't work out too good for them. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think, you, you, you just have to, sometimes you just have to make a change. And personally, I think Bob Stoops, uh, screwed up when, uh, he didn't keep Brent Venables and instead brought his brother in to run the defense low those many years ago. Uh, imagine what Oklahoma would be like if they still had Venables there. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, a tricky situation, I think to deal with, um, if there's a clear, uh, I think a lot of times what can happen is there's a clear break in communication between the head coach and one of his coordinators. They just can't talk to each other anymore. Uh, and if you get to that point where um, no conversation can really take place and there's there's no real um, such thing as being on the same page anymore, uh, then you have to make a move. And, and sometimes, maybe even, and, you know, I think I've seen this play out in the past, you you got to have a sacrificial lamb. You know, if you, uh, you're Lincoln Riley and you lose to Texas in uh, Red River Showdown, that's not a good thing. You know, uh, is, for all the success he's had and, uh, you know, for what I, I think he's a great coach and will do great at, at uh, Oklahoma, has done great at Oklahoma, has a bright future there. Um, the one thing that Oklahoma's fan base just cannot tolerate is a, a loss to, to Texas. You know, my son-in-law is a huge Oklahoma fan. He went to undergrad there. And uh, every year they have a Bevo barbecue at his house where they <laughs> – Cook they, along they, they barbecue. <laughs> yeah, they 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 barbecue Bevo, you know, at his house every year, and uh, it, it's such a big deal to Oklahoma fans that uh, you know maybe you know uh, that sacrificial lamb uh, thing came into play. But uh, I think there are a variety of factors that could come into play when you make that sort of change in season. But you know, uh, we don't really know the ins and outs of what happened at, at Oklahoma. So we'd just be 
speculating at this point. One other game we probably ought to mention um, is Mississippi State beating Auburn, um, which I thought was big. Um, because that coach at Mississippi State, I've been talking about him in the offseason a lot, Joe Moorhead. Um, he's doing some stuff right down there at Mississippi State. Uh, and, and to beat Auburn like that, uh, I think it's big for that program and uh, probably not big for Gus Malzahn. Keeping it rolling, but first let me talk about HillsTravel.com. I've talked about this a lot on this podcast uh, in recent months. It's a great deal for North Carolina fans to get to see the Hills play somewhere away from Chapel Hill. It's the easiest way to get there. Right now, HillsTravel.com is offering packages to Las Vegas for three nights and two games. Excuse me, three nights and two games. And then for two nights in Chicago for UNC and Kentucky. And for hotel accommodations at ACC Tournament in Charlotte. Visit HillsTravel.com now. Call 336-855-0060 to book. The trip to Vegas, of course, includes round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip transportation from the airport to the hotel, and three nights at the Aria Casino and Resort. And the trip to Chicago, get this, two of the best teams in the country squaring off on December 22nd. It's going to be a great time. So visit HillsTravel.com now. Or call 336-855-0060 to book your trip. Swinging back to games around the country, Greg, I watched some of Texas A&M, Kentucky. I can't believe Kentucky football was ranked 13th in the nation. And it was interesting in that game, and Buck, I don't know if you paid attention. I don't think Kentucky crossed midfield or ran a snap in Texas A&M territory until the very end. I mean, that's a mind-boggling stat, and I think the game went to overtime, if my memory serves. It's been a long weekend on the baseball field, but just more thoughts um, around the country, and that's relevant because Jimbo Fisher was at Florida State, and we see where Florida State now is. Um, But it's just amazing the rivalry games and the difference they make um, to certain fan bases and certain administrations and and what losing them can do um, for a coaching staff. Well, I think I think one interesting thing you mentioned the Auburn game, um, and Malzahn, is the guys had a lot of success. Uh, you know, played a national championship game. I'm not sure exactly how many SEC championships he's won, uh, but he's he's won that division a couple times. I know, has had plenty of success, but yet they they lose this game to drop to four and two. And one of the things that you hear immediately, which I found fascinating is that people are like, oh, is it time for Malzahn to be fired? And everybody thinks that, whoa, there's no way he's had success. That couldn't happen. And what comes up next? Well, this is true. They also fired Gene Chizik, what, two, three years after he won national championship? Two years. Yeah, two years. So if you're not getting it done, then we're going to get rid of you quick. And so the fact that anytime Malzahn comes up as being a, a guy that has potential for being fired, they automatically go back to what happened with Chiswick. And so that's just one of those things, the decisions that you make as an athletic director, they will stick with you and they will kind of follow you around, uh, especially as with the program. So that's why everybody thinks, oh, just fire Fedora, be done with it. Well, we know what happened in the NCAA investigation. We know what the injuries last year. So there's more to it than just saying, ah, oh, he's lost however many games in a road of power five or whatever that stat is uh, there, there's kind of the, the dynamics of, okay, 
we want to make sure this is an appealing job for other coaches coming in. Do we want to be that program that as soon as there's some adversity, even if a coach is loyal to us, we're just going to pull the rug out from under him? And not saying that you know, Bubba's in that situation right now, but those are some of the uh, outside verbiage that you've got to deal with and you've got to figure out how do we manufacture this this PR deal so we come out looking rosy and not come out looking like this team that hey even even national championships weren't good enough to keep a coach around uh, and so there's just so many facets and so many dynamics involved it's uh it's interesting to play out but you know with the SEC just being as competitive as it is you can kind of understand it if I could piggyback on Greg's comment there, uh, first of all, I, I want to comment that be careful what you say, Greg, or you'll get accused of, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> defending the status quo and inside Carolina's credentials depend on you backing up uh, Larry <laughs> I understand. And, and, and all of those things. So uh, be careful what you say there. But uh, following in that line of thought, um, if you look at two of the biggest, maybe three of the biggest uh, off-season hires or close to it, um, Chip Kelly going to UCLA um, and uh, Scott Frost going to Nebraska. It, uh, for for those people, let's, let's just say that Bubba Cunningham makes a call this year and it says, oh, we don't like the direction of programs going in, so we're going to make a change. And um, they bring in whoever – um, turns out to be the flavor of the month that fits with uh, North Carolina. Um, even if you bring in a guy like uh, Scott Frost or Chip Kelly, they may not pay immediate dividends. Now, on the flip side of that um, is Tom Herman. You know, he he uh, he took his lumps at Texas last year a bit, but he he's got those guys playing football down there in a way that I hadn't seen from Texas in a while. I, you know, I, there, are, there are some games that Texas can win that, you know, might look good on paper over the last several years, but beating Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry and doing it in the fashion that they did, um, you, you, you kind of feel like Tom Herman's got something going on there and he's going to be a force in the Big 12 going forward. So uh, you can be on either side of that dynamic, but, um, just be careful what you say on the podcast, Greg, uh, cause, uh, we'll have to defend it, you know, all next week. Uh, <laughs> you say the wrong thing. I understand. It's, uh, interesting. Is Maryland going to be Tom Herman's South Carolina? Uh, cause Maryland hadn't been very good since they've beaten Texas or they've been decent. Um, to wrap the show, I want to kind of take a deep dive into a question that comes up a lot on the message boards, but first let me take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to get into Buck and Greg's ear about the AD position. And stay to the end because you have a code to win two tickets to Virginia Tech, Carolina, and sit with Buck and I. We'll be right back. Buck, let me ask you this, and let's close the show with this discussion here. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but how much of an athletic director's job is dependent on the performance of the football program or the football and basketball program. I mean, a lot of people on our message board, it's a huge discussion, you know, can Bubba two send them both out? Um, 
he's the one that did this crazy deal and all that kind of, and I'll say it nonsense and I'm not defending the status quo because uh, that's not what I do, but what Bubba Cunningham's done for this university and this athletic program, I think goes without saying, but Buck to you, how much um, is success on the field and court dependent on a good AD and also um, how much of the AD's job depends on those two things? Well, uh, historically, I would say that uh, by no means uh, does the University of North Carolina have a quick hook when it comes to athletic directors. Um, If you look back through the Carl Torbush, John Bunning, back-to-back hires by Dick Bedore, and he still had a job um, until uh, Bush Davis uh, ran afoul of the of the NCAA or the program under Butch Davis. Let me clarify that or also get some hate mail. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying that, uh, you know, it's uh, when it comes to football, North Carolina doesn't seem to have a or uh, really for any athletics. And and actually, I do think that at UNC, because they have so many athletic programs, uh, now the major revenue sports are, you know, more the front porch of the uh, athletic department. But, uh, you know, North Carolina has a presence in a lot of different sports and balancing that dynamic and and having the right mix of resources available to all the different programs and not running afoul of uh, uh, title. uh, None. Yeah, Title IX and uh, making sure that, uh, you know, the budget's balanced and everybody has the resources that they need. Um, I think that's something that is a uh, not as um, visible piece of what the athletic director does. And, uh, you know, uh, under Bubba Cunningham, they're they're doing a lot of stuff with facilities uh, in football and in other sports, uh, lacrosse, track and field, um, soccer, you name it. They're uh, spending a lot of money on resources. There's uh, fundraising that's involved. There's a lot of different aspects to the AD's job. Um, the fact that this deal that, that Bubba Cunningham made with Larry Fedora at the time uh, in hindsight looks extremely suspect, but I don't think there's any member of the uh, board of trustees uh, or anybody in the athletic administration that's uh, ready to crucify Bubba Cunningham over that. And, and they're looking more at the overall big picture of uh how Bubba Cunningham is managing the the entire athletic department and and the other aspects of his job instead of just coaching hires. Now, at other places, it can be different, no question. Um, you know, if if you're an athletic director at LSU and you make a bad decision, um, you know, when that coach gets fired, you might want to pack your bags at the same time. So, um, but at North Carolina, I don't believe that to be the case and um, for all the, you know, the wailing and gnashing of the teeth over the deal that Bubba did with uh, Larry Fedora, um, 
you know, I, I don't, I don't think that endangers uh, Bubba Cunningham at all, really. Yeah, I don't understand the angst directed at Bubba. I, I guess you know, from just a football mindset that tends to be the the biggest uh, revenue generator on campus, and that's why people focus so much on it with regard to the athletic director role. Uh, but you know, basketball for North Carolina is kind of the, the big driver, but football, football is as well, and Bubba is. A good businessman. He he is well aware that uh, you got to have a good football program to uh, be able to to fund all these other sports. Budget issues are always a concern, especially when you have as many sports as North Carolina does. Uh, and you know, if you want to, if your complaint is that, well, North North Carolina finished thirteenth in the Directors Cup last year, I think that is a more valid maybe criticism than just focusing just on football because that encompasses the whole athletic department i mean 13th is still good uh you know i think north carolina's happy with that they want to be top 10 every year but i think that's kind of a more rational criticism but in following the ncaa investigation to the extent that that we did it inside carolina knowing the inner workings of how it all played out and how the ncaa was intent on hammering north carolina really for public image more than anything. And knowing what Bubba's team did and kind of redirecting what the NCAA wanted, I mean, you cannot forget the NCAA sent North Carolina three notices of allegations. And the reason why is they changed their approach in trying to attack North Carolina each time. And what did UNC do? Instead of UNC cowering in the corner, they said, eh, no, that's not going to work. That does not, that does not work within the bylaws that you have set forth. You're going to have to go back to the drawing board and come back when you get something else. And so the NCAA would go back and they'd rewrite it and then they'd come back and UNC would be like, no, nope, that's not going to do it. And so finally, what happens? The Committee on Infractions has to intervene and basically tell the enforcement staff how to rework things because North Carolina had done such a good job defending itself. And then we know how it played out. The NCAA finally agreed what UNC had said all along is that nothing that happened with AFAM was a, was a violation of NCAA bylaws. And so the fact that he went on the offensive for UNC in the way that he defended the, the university throughout all this mess, none of which he, you know, he was responsible for, right? I mean, it's like Larry Fedora. Larry didn't have anything to do with the NCAA cloud that he had to recruit under. These guys walked into that situation back in, uh, the fall and winter of 2011. But when you understand what Bubba did there and the craftiness of handling that, I think that speaks volumes to what he brings as an athletic director. And like Buck said, you know, was that too big of a contract for Larry? Maybe, but I mean, that was, that was agreed to the weekend of the ACC championship game in 2015. UNC was what, 11 and one at the time? Yep. Uh, I mean, they, they were in prime position, and you still have this NCAA cloud overhead. You don't know how that's going to play out. You don't know if there's going to be uh, you know, postseason bans coming for every program, let alone football. And so what do you do? Do you say, you know what? We're going to risk it. We're going to risk this guy getting away if he ends up being this great coach because if the NCAA violations come down hard on us, against us, then we're going to have a hard time getting anybody. And so they rolled the dice. And 
Last year was what it was. This year has not started out the way anybody wanted it to. Uh, and so I, I understand why they decided to do the contract the way they did. Um, was it a risk? Sure. But you know, if, if you don't take risks, sometimes it, it kills you in the end. And so I, I don't. I don't understand why people are tying Fedora and Bubba together, especially considering you know, Fedora was really the only football coach, or he is the only football coach, uh, that, that Bubba's had to hire since he's been at UNC. Good stuff, Greg. Good stuff, Buck. Uh, it's an interesting discussion. It's, it's, it's one that gets board posters fired up. It's one that uh, I think you guys pretty specifically explained and laid out. Buck, I need to tell a code uh, for some free tickets to Virginia Tech, but I want you to tell us about what uh, these folks that enter with this free code get because it's pretty fun in Chapel Hill these days on Saturdays. Yeah, uh, we uh, did a little something different uh, this year with our ticket giveaway. Um, I have uh, stepped away. I've I've let uh, Greg Barnes and our intern and Ross Martin enjoy the air-conditioned benefits of the press box (laughs) and the food that uh, they lavish them with up there and um and i have stepped into the stands i kind of wanted to get a feel for that this year and so uh myself and mrs buck uh have seats uh, right in front of tommy ashley and his crew uh his lovely wife and his two sons um and so uh, whoever wins the tickets will sit next to, to Mrs. Buck and I um, right on the 50-yard line. And uh, we, we really enjoyed it. Uh, we enjoyed uh, the pit game, the outcome of that, and we enjoyed uh, conversating with the winner um, uh, that won those tickets that week. Uh, so uh enter the contest and we'll uh we'll see you on saturday night yep and if you can make it down to the bowls lot it's gonna be a high old time we'll have a big pig cooking on the uh on the pig cooker out there in the parking lot saturday night so you win some tickets you get down there you may get some free uh good stuff food wise can't promise anything else but food the other stuff's expensive Code's going to be, and I'm going to ask you, Greg, because you usually know all this stuff. The first year that Carolina and Virginia Tech ever played football. Do you know it? Oh, um, no, I do not. I can uh, guess. Go ahead. 1949. Uh, no. The code for the giveaway, first year Virginia Tech, North Carolina ever played a football game, 1895. Whoa. Yes, I think uh, Brian Chekos was a freshman. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Brian if you're listening. You still need to call me. I, I need something from you. 1895, go on the Tar Pit Premium message board, enter that code, win the ch- get a chance to win two tickets, see Carolina and Virginia Tech, come hang out with us uh, Saturday night in Kenan Stadium. What could be better? Sounds like a fun time. That'll do it for this show. Greg, Buck, always appreciate it. Uh, Guys, thanks for joining me on a Sunday evening. I hope you all have a good week. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. 
Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. 